welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. Did anybody read ahead this week? Oh, James is just, it's just fantastic. Um, We're in James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Is anybody learning anything from James? Mm-hmm. I'm learning a lot of stuff myself. It's one of the things I love about the Word of God is that you can read it over and over and over again and still learn new stuff all the time. Have you ever noticed that? It's because the Bible says the Word of God is living and active. And as you open it up and you stare into it, God will speak to you and into your life all the time. New wisdom and new revelation. Uh, So James chapter 3 we're in. We ended off chapter 2 talking about faith without works is dead. And here he starts off in James chapter 3 and he says this, Dear brothers and sisters... Not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. (laughs) Hey, guys. (laughs) Not many of you should be teachers in the church, because those who teach will be judged more strictly. It is true. People think, oh, you know, when people come to churches and they're new and they want to get involved... A lot of times people will be like, I want to do things that people will see me. They, I, want, I want to be noticed. Some people are like, I want to be behind the scenes people. But then there's some people like, I want to do something where I get on the stage and I get noticed. I want to teach. I want to preach. I want to share good news. I want to do all these things so people can see me. But people don't realize, by and large, this scripture is true. I'll use me as an example. I will be judged much more strictly than a lot of people. Because I am a teacher, and I get up here, and I have to teach this to you, which means I really have to know it. I really have to believe it, and I really have to live it. Because it's not just what I'm saying to you right now. It's what I live, like when we go to the picnic today, and we're all hanging out, and you watch me out there. And you watch what kind of jokes I make, and you watch which things I laugh at, and you watch which things I do. And when somebody cuts me off and steals my parking spot, all those kind of things. And judge more strictly. Everybody says, whew, I'm glad I'm not Jake today. <laughs> uh, but the first thing I noticed that was very interesting to me in this scripture, it says, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, who do you think does the judging? So many times we want to do the judging, don't we? Don't we just love to judge people? Jen says no I don't think so but really people tend to judge other people don't we we look at them we compare our lives against them we judge what they're doing we judge what they say we judge all these things about them we shouldn't do that but a lot of times we do do that but what he's talking about what James is talking about is God being the judge can I just tell you today you're not the judge you're not the judge of anybody. Let me tell you something really great. You know who is the judge? God. 
And that should take off a lot of pressure from you. God is the judge. And in fact, in James chapter 4, when we look at it next week, it says God is the judge. You're not the judge. God's the judge. And you know what? God's the judge. And John chapter 16 tells us that it's the Holy Spirit who does the convicting. So what does that leave us to do? Anybody got a guess? We talked about this last week. In John chapter 13, that's right. Love your neighbor as yourself. So let's see. God's job is to do the judging, like it says right here, and it says in chapter 4, which we'll look at next week. The Holy Spirit's job is to do the convicting, and mine and yours job is to do the loving. If your loving looks like judging or convicting, you're doing something wrong. Now, you can love somebody, and the Holy Spirit will work through that love and bring conviction into their life. But it's not your job to judge people or to convict them of their sin. Your job is to love them. And through that love, God does his part and the Holy Spirit does his part. You do your part. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, I love you. I'm doing my part. I love you. I'm doing my part. Ken, I love you. I'm doing my part. That's my part to love you. Denise, I'm doing my part. (laughs) So he goes on here and he says, Indeed, we all make a lot of mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Man, indeed, we all make a lot of mistakes. We all make mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could control yourself in every other way. Wow. That word perfect is the Greek word uh, teleos. Teleos. And it means finished or completed. Like you have been finished. You have been finished being made and now you are perfect and you are done. You're completed. And he says, if you could control your tongue, you could control yourself in every other way. How many times in life have you said, man, I wish I could go back in time and stop myself from saying that? How many times have you had a conversation with somebody and as you're saying the words and they're coming out of your mouth, you say, oh, sweet Jesus, I need to stop. But the words are already out there. Please don't let them hear these words. And how many times have you said something to somebody and you instantly regret it and you say, oh, God, please, please don't let them hear what I just said. Mm, I know I have more than once. (laughs) If he says... If he says this, if you could control your tongue, you'd be perfect. And could, you could also control yourself in every other way. Man, how, how strong do you think your tongue is? Well, let's go on and take a look. Because he's going to start talking about his, our tongues. He says this. We make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing 
that makes big, grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. Have you ever thought about opening your mouth and there just being a flame in there? Because that's what he's saying. Your tongue is a flame of fire. Dragon mouth. You got dragon mouth. Not dragon breath. You got dragon mouth. I thought it was funny. It says, the tongue's a flame of fire. It's the whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Hang on, we're going to keep reading for a minute and make a few, few comments after this. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but nobody can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Mm. Tell you what, told you this last week and I'm going to say it again. I just feel like James slaps me upside the head over and over and over again. Am I alone? Okay, good. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> all right, let's back it up here. Now, normally we have all, this, all the scriptures on here, but as this is kind of a Bible study series, there are some scriptures that I did not intentionally put up on the screen so we could turn to them together so that you are doing something while we are talking, where you are participating. So whether you are like flipping pages in your Bible, like got to turn the page over, turn the page over, or you got to like punch in the numbers on your phone, whatever you got to do, you got to do something. So let's go and look in Matthew chapter 12. He's talking about your words. He's talking about your tongue. He's talking about things you say. And as you're turning there, think about this. Um, I don't know if you can remember this or not, but when the earth was made in Genesis, did God sit down on this big cosmic sandbox and begin to make earth with his hands and like piece it together and like build buildings and animals and form them out of the sand? Is that what he did? Mm -mm. When God made the universe, he spoke it into being with his words. Proverbs chapter 18 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Matthew chapter 12 The Pharisees have just showed up and they are saying that Jesus is casting out demons because he's part of Satan's posse. And so he's answering them. And in verse 33, we're going to pick it up here and it says, A tree is identified by its fruit. 
if a tree is good, its fruit's going to be good. But if a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how can you evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Whatever's inside of you is going to come out of you. Whatever you think about is going to come out of your mouth. Whatever you sit down and watch and let inside of your eyeballs and deep down inside of you, that's going to come out of you. The things that you listen to and let inside your ears and go down inside of you, that's going to come out of you. He said, whatever is in your heart determines what you say. 35 says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. I don't know about you, but I do not want an evil heart. Anybody here want an evil heart? No, thank you. <laughs> well, you guys are serious today. <laughs> I tell you this in verse 36. Mm. And this... This is always kind of like a sucker punch to the gut when I read this scripture. I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Life and death is in your words. You can build people up, you can tear them down. You can say what God says about you or you can say what the world says about you and let that tear you down. You can say what God says about your circumstances or you can say the same thing everybody else is saying and look and see how far that's going to get you. Life and death are in your words. And I challenge you today. I'm going to throw down. I challenge you today to start walking around and think about words before you start to say them. And when you encounter something nasty, before you just open your mouth and let these words start coming out, you stop and think and say, hmm, wait a second, what does Jesus say about this? And I challenge you that as you go through life to begin to start saying positive things about your life and about who you are and about your marriage and about your finances and about your health and about your emotional being and about your physical being. I challenge you to say what God says and just wait and see what happens because... Life and death are in your words. So let's go back to uh, James. He's talking about your words. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 tells us that to guard your heart... Because out of it flow the issues of life. And that word heart in the Hebrew, the idea is your heart is the very center of your being. Your heart in that context is who you really are. And he says to guard your heart because out of it flow all your issues of life. Proverbs says in chapter 18, 
that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And I was thinking about this yesterday. And if your heart is who you really are, your spirit, the center of you, then I feel like your flesh, the Bible tells us, Romans tells us, Galatians tells us, that your spirit being and your flesh are always fighting against each other, right? You all know that we have three parts to who we are. Yeah, we are a spirit who lives in a body, right? And we have a soul, and your soul is made up of your mind and your will and your emotions, the spirit is the part that lives for forever. The spirit is who you really are. The spirit is the part that either goes to heaven or goes to hell. Your soul, which is your mind and your will and your emotions, is the part that is always fighting the spirit. The soul, that fleshy part of you, always wants to do the fun thing. It always wants to go and do things that it shouldn't do because it's fun and it's exciting. Your spirit's always wanting to do what God wants you to do. And the Bible says those two are always fighting together. And I was thinking about this in context of this passage right here, which is not in my Bible anymore. Just so excited my pages are turning. That if your heart is the center of who you are, if your heart is where your spirit is at, then I feel like your tongue is where the flesh really shows up. Because most times in life, when you get yourself in trouble, it's by saying something. And in Proverbs, he talks about guarding your heart because out of it flows the issues of life. That's why you can't let all that junk inside of you because it's going to work its way out of you. What you let in comes out. The Bible says we're like a vessel. You can only hold so much stuff. And what you keep putting in there is eventually going to come out. You can hide it for a while. You can have some good stuff in there and some junk in there. But over time, guess what happens? It begins to flow out on its own. You hit that overflow section and it just starts coming out. You can't stop it. You've got to watch what you're putting inside of you. Because out of your heart flows who you really are. We all go to church on Sundays. We all put on a best version of ourselves. We act the right way. We say the right things. But over time, the real you starts to show. The real Slim Shady eventually stands up. <laughs> it does. You can, you can tame all kinds of animals, he says in verse 7. Fish. I think he's talking about dolphins. <laughs> I've never seen anybody go down to the river and tame a, tame a salmon. Never seen that happen. So I think he's talking about like dolphins and those kind of things. You can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but nobody can tame the tongue. Nobody can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. And here's where he says, sometimes it praises God, and sometimes it curses those that have made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. This isn't right, he says. It's not right. There should be something different about our speech. There should be something different about the way you talk. It's true. When you're hanging out with people, they shouldn't hear you talk exactly like they talk. They shouldn't hear you use the same words that they use. Because he's saying you can't have both good water and bad water coming out of the same spring. 
You can't both bless God and curse other things with the same thing. There's got to be a difference. There's got to be a delineation. You've got to watch the words that you say. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? A little bit. Okay. Verse 13 says, if you're wise and you understand God's ways, prove it. If you're wise and you understand God's ways, in verse 13, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. If you're wise and you understand God's ways, where do we understand God's ways from? By reading the Bible, by hearing the word of God. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the? From what? Yeah. So if you're wise and you understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Good works with humility that comes from wisdom. It says if you're bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition, the New King James says strife, and strife is bitter conflict. So if you're bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition or there's conflict in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Well, what are you supposed to do with it then? If you're not supposed to cover up the truth with more boasting and lying, what do you suppose you're supposed to do with the truth? Expose it to the light. If there's things in your heart that aren't right, you are supposed to expose them to God so that he can bring correction in you and his character can be formed more purely and righteously inside of you. He says, if these things are hiding in your heart, don't cover them up by lying. How many of us cover things up by lying? Nobody? Are you lying? <laughs> That's like a trick question because really, basically all of our hands should be lifted up at some point. Some point or another, we've all lied about something in our life. He says, don't cover these things up. You need to expose them so that God can bring healing to you, so that God can bring correction to you, so that God can mold you and form you more into his image. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that Sloan was saying, my brain's full. Can I be excused? <laughs> Don't hide these things. Don't, don't cover them up. He says in verse 15, For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Huh. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? I mean, jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things, in fact, are earthly. They're unspiritual and you're going to go on one step farther, and we're going to tell you that they're demonic. Oof. Jealousy and selfishness are earthly, unspiritual, and can be demonic. As in, of demons. 
For wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. For where you find jealousy and selfish ambition or strife and division, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Now let's pause for a second and flip your Bibles over to Galatians chapter 5. This is too hard. Hang on a second. In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19, and it says this, and this sounds a lot like what we just read in James chapter 3. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, enviness, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living, the New King James says, practicing that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That sounds an awful lot like what he just said in James chapter 3, where he says, for wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you're going to find disorder and every kind of evil. Why? Because they all like to hang out together. And when you open the door to one sin in your life, guess who else shows up at the party? I learned a long time ago in life that you can't let one sin in your life and try and keep everything else out. Because the second you open that door to sin, guess who else is there with it in the party bus wanting to come hang out at your house? And they're all standing at the door saying, can we come in too? I got to go pee. I got to, my friend's going to throw up. I got to go do this. I need to use the phone for a minute. I need to call this person. And they all want to come inside the house and party with you. You can't just have one sin that you allow to live in your life. When you let one sin into your life, they all want to come hang out there too. Okay. All right. Go back to James chapter 3. You've got to expose those things in your life to the word of God, to God, so that he can help you and that he can form and mold that character inside of you to be the person that he created you and desires you to be. Verse 17 says this, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Can we just read that again for a second? He just finished talking about the selfishness in your life and what that looks like and the jealousy in your life. And now he's talking about heavenly wisdom. And he says the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's peace-loving, gentle, willing to yield to others, 
full of mercy and good deeds, shows no favoritism, and is always sincere. You know when I was reading this, you know what passage of scripture I could not help but think about? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Why don't you turn your Bibles there? First Corinthians 13, we call this the love chapter. We use it at weddings and we use it at Valentine's Day and we use it when we show our spouse that they're not loving us properly. We just leave it on our Bible, like open to that chapter by, oh, I don't know how it opened to 1 Corinthians 13. It just did that on its own. It must be the spirit. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4, says love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures everything, endures through every circumstance. Down in verse 8, the very end, it says, love will last forever. And that sounds an awful lot like what we just read in James chapter 3. The wisdom from above is pure, peace-loving, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good deeds, no favoritism, and is always sincere. There is a difference in worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And you can judge it by its fruit. When you're having a conversation with somebody and they're sounding selfish or they've got their own way of doing things, they're trying to promote themselves, if they sound jealous, well, guess what? You can say, hmm, this does not sound like godly wisdom. This sounds like worldly wisdom. You can judge a book sometimes by its cover. Sometimes you can. You can judge a a tree by its fruit, right? So he goes on here in verse 18. And he says, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. And at first glance, it could seem like this scripture comes out of nowhere. He's talking about wisdom. He's talking about earthly wisdom. He's talking about heavenly wisdom. And now all of a sudden he's talking about planting seeds of peace. And it's like, where did this come from? Well, here's what he's talking about. In the previous verse, he just told you how to be a peacemaker. And I want to say this. There's a big difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. And he just told us how to be peacemakers. You want to be a peacemaker? Go back and study verse 17. It's pure. Peace-loving. I'm gentle at all times. I'm willing to yield to others. I'm full of mercy and good deeds. I don't show favoritism, and I always try to be sincere. What is that going to do? It's going to be making peace. And he says, those who are peacemakers, those who do what we just talked about in verse 17, will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. And what is righteousness? Right standing with God. If you need righteousness in your life, if you need to see some righteousness taking place in your life, then what do you got to do? You got to start sowing these seeds of peace. You have to be a peacemaker where in your life you are living verse 17 out on a daily basis, which looks just like 
1 Corinthians 13, which looks just like John chapter 13 that we talked about last week, which was love one another as I have loved you. What's he talking about here? He's told us that we can't sound the same as everybody else. We got to talk differently than them. That there is life in your words. There can be death in your words. That your tongue, if you leave it unchecked and unsubmitted to the word of God, can cause all kinds of trouble in your life. You need to lock that thing down. Lock it down. Start saying what the Word of God says about you and about your circumstances and about your beliefs and about your issues that you're dealing with. Start proclaiming the Word of God in your life and see what happens. Don't be negative. Don't agree with the world. Don't agree with what the devil says. Don't agree with the enemy is saying about you. Start to say what God is saying about you. Man, one of the greatest tools that the enemy has is he brings these lies to you. And if he can just get you to start saying those same things that he says about you, he's won half the battle. Because you walking around confessing everything he's saying about you. Oh, I'm a loser. I'm a deadbeat. I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I'm broke. I'm poor. I'm sick. I'm ugly. I'm never going to be nothing. And if he can get you to say it, Guess what happens? The more you start saying something, the more you believe it. He's like, you got to watch your tongue. you got to watch your words. Then he starts talking about wisdom. How to have the right kind of wisdom. The wisdom you want, it's not jealousy. It's not putting yourself first. It's not strife and it's not conflict. But the wisdom you want is the kind of wisdom that makes peace. The kind where you yield to others, where you prefer others beyond yourself. Where you say kind things, where you, where you are sowing seeds of peace to reap a harvest of righteousness. Stand up with me. James is just a straight shooter telling it like it is. And if you don't like this, you can call James and talk to him yourself about it because I didn't write any of this stuff. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray together. And I want to pray like I always pray every week. God is formed more fully and more completely inside of us. That we continue to surrender ourselves to him so that he can be and do what he wants. We all carry all kinds of baggage through life. And what the gospel is trying to do is to bring us to a place of freedom where we can 
be free from those chains and all those things that hold us down and hold us back and stop us from walking in the fullness of all that God has for us. So if you desire more of God in your life, if you desire to see God continue to work, continue to move, to continue to transform you, to continue to mold you, to continue to shape you, to continue to have your way in His way in your life, then all I want you to do is I want you to lift up your hands to God. Why do we lift our hands in church? Because lifting your hands is a sign of surrender. That someone else is greater than you. You are saying, I surrender myself to you. And I'm going to pray over us. And as I pray, I just want you to allow God to speak to you, reveal things to you, and work in you. So, Father, we come to you right now. And we desire more than anything else for your kingdom to come. It's your will to be done. God, I ask right now that all across this place, you begin to show us things in our lives that we are holding on to, that we are not letting go of, that we are allowing, uh, maybe knowingly or unknowingly, to keep us shackled and chained down. God, I ask that you begin to reveal those things to us so that we can release them and let go of them and turn them to you and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. I need your strength. God, I ask that you show us those things right now. And now with those things that God showed you, I want you with your own mouth in your own way to tell God that you release those things to him. Because there's things that we hang on to that have that have hindered us for so long, but we have embraced them and made them part of who we are. And God says to us today that that's not who you are. Those, per, those hurts and those pains and those shackles and those chains and those mindsets, those are not who I say you are. And if you will just let go of them, I will redefine you to who I say you are. So with your own mouth, with your hearts open and your hands lifted up, I want you to take a second and just tell God that you're releasing it back to Him, that you're giving these things to Him. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that His Spirit, His love, and His life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. 
we just want to remind you that you were made for hope.